Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I'm joined by two wonderful people here at Town Hall in Seattle, and they're going to take us on an adventure. Scotty Madden spent years in the wild places of the world as a co-executive producer of outdoor survivalist reality TV shows acting as a lead storyteller and a business manager. And Marcy Madden is the love of her life. They've been married for 27 years. Thank you both for being here. Oh, thanks. It's great to be here, Katie. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you. Today we're going to be talking about, well, what it's like to run a reality show in some of the most difficult environments, but also the incredible personal journey that Scotty and Marcy have been on for the last seven years. But I wanted to start on the road. Why not? Can you lay out a scene for us? What kind of locations are you being sent to? Basically, we went to the crown jewels of survival. So we started off in Alaska on a glacier. We went to uh, Costa Rica in the jungles. We were in Guyana on the jungles. We were in the sand dunes of Namibia. We were out on the plains of uh, Tanzania. So we're running around with zebras and giraffes. Uh, Basically, any place that somebody said somebody should learn how to survive there, we went there. Were any of the ones, places that you went places that you chose, bucket list items for you maybe, or something like that? Oh, they were all ones I chose. (laughs) (laughs) It was my job to pitch the idea to the network. And so uh, me and my boss, who was the production supervisor, so to speak, for the production company, uh, he would tell me the ones he wanted to do. So he had the cenote in the Yucatan, which we wanted to throw somebody into one. And I had all the rest. So I just kind of, you know, looked at a map and went, let's go there. No one's been there yet in TV. Let's go there. Best place? Best place. Well, I'm Finnish on my mother's side. And so going to the Arctic Circle at the ice melt in Finland was just absolutely amazing. And on a personal journey, very deep. How so? Tell me about the personal journey. For all my years, my great-great-grandmother would say all these Finnish terms and stuff like that that just kind of filtered down uh, as a third-generation woman in, in America. So to go back and kind of tie them together, the first one is sauna. It's not sauna. It's sauna. Okay. Gramahana wanted me to make sure that you knew that. And so I got to go to an actual sauna with the, some of the Sami people. The Sami are the native people of uh, up in the Arctic Circle in Lapland. And that's my people. And so I got to go to sweat my everything off with them <laughs> in a house and then actually get into a ice covered river at night and it was an amazing experience what did it teach you about yourself first of all that i'm not that smart i mean i went underwater <laughs> after being in this thing for two hours and getting my body so superheated that i could go into an icy river and i was underwater having a conversation with myself that said hey you need to breathe and we have to do that up there <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a lot of the dreams i have actually um <laughs> and can you explain if you put a person in a survivalist situation can you lay out what actually happens to them and then how you craft it into a story about what happens to them? Sure. Well, first of all, there's two things about this, the surviving part, producing a TV show under our schedule, eight countries on four continents in three months. That meant that we were in and out of a country in five days. It was insane. 100 pieces of gear and 20 people going through third world airplanes. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. So that was one half of it. Then what we would do is we would actually the premise of the show is that we would kidnap one of our, we had five cast members, so they would each, they would all gang up and kidnap one of them, blindfold him, handcuff him, and drop him somewhere in the world, and he had 100 hours to get out. 
So that meant that we would drop him on a caldera in a volcano in Chile, Corcovado National Park. And he's got to find his way out of there. He has absolutely nothing but a bag full of junk that the other guys thought would be funny for him to either lug around or try to make use of. And they all are going to do it. But they had to feed themselves. They had to find water. They had to find warmth. We didn't give them anything. Who are these people? <laughs> How do you find these people? <laughs> well, first of all, the name of the show is called Dude, You're Screwed. It couldn't be more appropriately named as we get deeper into this. Uh, but the guys are some of the greatest guys in the world. They care for me a lot. One of them, uh, Terry Shoppert, an active duty Green Beret, uh, Master Sergeant, 17 tours of duty. Jake Zwiegs, former Navy SEAL. John Hudson, my dear friend John, is a RAF SEER instructor, and SEER is Search, Evade, Resist, and Extract, and that's deep, deep training for someone who's going to go behind the lines. And then the other guys that we had on there were all a various revolving cast of survival experts. We had a grizzly bear tracker, Casey Anderson. We had, uh, we had a good old country boy, Chris, was the barefoot survivalist. So all these guys that thought that they could play with the big boys would come on the show. And did you ever fear for your life specifically while you were working on the show? Oh, constantly. I mean, we spent far too much time in a helicopter in high winds to, you know, we really push the odds. And these are all things that Marcy's only now hearing. You know? <laughs> uh, I mean, there's times where you're, you know, your heart jumps up into your throat. It's like, oh, we, we dropped in altitude way too fast without anybody having control. Most of the time, what I was really worried about is the guys. Are they going to be okay? Uh, because they're so military pedigree that they would never cry uncle. I wouldn't know that they were really in danger until they were dead. So I was always trying to make sure that nothing went south, and thankfully nothing did. And what about the crew? This is one of my main questions when I watch shows like this is, obviously they're surrounded by cameras. So is the crew sitting back eating a fine meal while these people are starving to death in the wilderness? Not exactly. Um, on our show, we would put them out with just one camera person and a camera assistant. And we had two of the, usually two of the finest adventure camera people on the planet. They were carrying their own backpacks. They were carrying their own food and water. They did have stuff and I would go out and meet them on the trail and get them anything they needed. But the guys, you know, the survivalists themselves were on their honor system and they didn't want to break that honor. Yeah. I mean, they weren't necessarily more comfortable, and they and it becomes a real personal bond between the camera operator and the cast member that's out there. They didn't want to eat in front of them or drink in front of them. They could really, and that's part of the magic of our show is it had so much heart. You know, everybody really knew this was really for real. It sounds like such a macho group of guys. Is that what it was? You said that they wouldn't cry uncle, but it's like, don't show your emotions, don't do that. Is that the type of people that they are? Or? For the most part, yeah. Uh, however, the best guys on my crew were women. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I had, uh, you know, I'm going to adopt Lara Weatherly, if you're out there, Lara. She would shame all the rest of the people on my crew into greatness because she was just quiet and solid and there all the time. She never wanted me to take her off the trail. We would always rotate the camera operator. She was the assistant camera person, and she just did not want to come home. She wanted to stay out there. Lana Smith was one of my best field producers. She just was always there. Was, you know, maybe a point of honor. She always chose the place that she was afraid of. Like, she's afraid of snakes, so she chose Costa Rica. I'm like, what are you doing? You're my senior producer. You can have choice. And like, no, I want that one. I got to go out and confront my fear of snakes. So, Wow. Were you always an adventure-seeking 
thrill-seeking type or were you more like a traveler at heart or a storyteller like where are you entering from oh that's a good question I mean I've always been a storyteller but um, I was actually getting my karma because I said to Marcy about a couple years before this actually started I haven't gone backpacking in so long (laughs) and boom I'm like on Maha backpacking (laughs) (laughs) I've always enjoyed long-term backpacking five to ten days most of the time I kind of hit it from both sides The idea that I could tell a story while I was out there just made it that much better. This meant that you were gone a lot. I think in the book you said one year you were only home for 15 days. So let me turn to you, Marcy, since we haven't heard from you yet. What was it like to be alone a lot of the time? Um, It was a really big change because when we had first gotten together, we always swore we'd only be apart two weeks max. And we had done pretty well at that for many years. And even enjoyed working together. So this was huge. At the same time, especially with this particular show, there were a few that led up to it that did take Scotty away. But with this one, I was extra happy because it was fun. It was honorable. Your question before about, come on, the crew's really around there and aren't they cheating kind of thing. I can be the one that can say that does happen on other quote-unquote reality shows. This one really had the integrity and the great people for Scotty to work with and good money. And, you know, we'd had some leaner years. So I just kept falling back on that. When I would go to the bank, I would feel a little bit better about <laughs> Scotty not being home. I worked out of the home. I loved being home. So that was, that was okay. I adjusted. It almost got weird to uh, see her sometimes because it would be such a long separation but there's things you get fed in life and you either eat it or you don't so I just took it what was it like for you it was really really hard here it was the best time of my life finally I've been climbing the ladder I'm now I'm the showrunner finally the showrunner is the director and the executive producer rolled into one and I have the best show ever the concept wasn't mine, but I really took and, and made it work. Boys being boys was the greatest concept we could have had in this kind of an environment. And I got to ride a helicopter to work every day, so it couldn't have been better on that end. But I was away from Marcy for so long that it just made it really bittersweet. And so all I could do was bury myself into the work. It's tough to call a home when it's a satellite phone that you're using, so you have to space that out. Yeah. And then readjust to each other when you get back together. Well, that's one thing we didn't really have a problem with. We basically just fell back into each other's arms. It's, we've had that kind of a relationship where we actually really, really like each other as much as we love each other. We just want to be together. You agree? I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> just checking, just yeah, checking. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, the one thing that we haven't mentioned here is when you were working on this show, you were living your life as a man, and now you're not. So can we, yeah, I know, shocker. Um, So what was that like on the road? Because a lot of the book you talk about, it's not a slow awakening because you know all along, but it becomes a slow awakening as far as like what you're actually doing in the world. So can you lay it out for us a little bit, make a better transition than the one I just did? (laughs) Well, hopefully I'm making a good transition now. Yeah, it was, uh, my life was coming to a head, basically. I had been dealing with hiding who I was since I was a child. 
I think when some people hear that phrase or they hear other trans people trying to describe that, it's almost like they think you're acting, like you're an actor on a stage. This is the role I'm playing. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do this. And that, that's not what it is or was for me anyways. For me, it was a real psychological wrestling match. If you can imagine what it feels like to wear a human body, that's what it was like for me. I, I was wearing this body and every once in a while it would start to just get too tight and it, that would equal a complete tearing away of my psyche for three, four days at a time where all I could do was hold on, go through my life and try to smile and try to not let anybody know that inside I wanted to scream, die, run, go to sleep, fly to the moon. I mean, (laughs) every emotion is on fire. All your senses are lit up and all you want to do is basically stand still. That was all happening while I was standing on a mountaintop in Iceland or swimming in a river in Costa Rica. (laughs) So um, it got to be where, well, you know, the last season, nobody knew what I was, that I had to, I had to wear a training bra, a sports bra underneath my adventure clothing because even my body was trying to tell me, uh, you're not a boy. Obviously, you're in a situation where you can't scream run away go to the moon because you're responsible for all of these people so how did you cope with all this internal stuff and then still be the big boss on the outside it's funny i i um i screamed into a lot of pillows the jungle was a big place so i could find a place and go off and be my by myself and just get my stuff together got towards the end of uh the second season of dude i had those times had to come up more frequently and they were harder. So I learned to scream underwater. Were you aware of this at the time? By then, Scotty had actually told me. She'll say she came out to me. And I like to joke that it was like, well, she said she was confused about who she was. But uh, it took me a long time to put together because I just didn't understand it. I really knew very little about people who were transgender at all she tells me and then hits the road again so i'm left with this Ouch. right <laughs> what was I did that exactly true. i i didn't ever well, want to set that day, i didn't want to set the house on fire and not be around us to put the flames out you so weren't home that long well, and I, so i would never talk about it whenever i came home because then i wouldn't be around to do anything about it but you know in a way only in retrospect it's hindsight it wasn't so great at the time but i actually feel like the space probably was good for us because it gave me my own quiet personal time to be with this to journal about it to google about it which I don't necessarily suggest because it's gnarly what you can find on the internet sometimes but having that quiet and and really being able to ask myself inner questions was probably good because when we would get together All I wanted to do was ask questions or go, how are you today? Because I was still waiting to hear that it was a phase and everything was all better. And, oh, I'm sorry, it was just a midlife crisis. Maybe I just need a new car. I do, but I want it to be pink. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, um, you could sort of say I knew, but it was a process for me. Not 50-some-odd years, but five. There were many steps in my path to go from first hearing it to going... Wait, what? Yeah. Do you remember some of those initial questions that you were asking yourself? Why is a pretty, pretty big one. How? How did I not know? Why did she marry me if she knew this all along and didn't tell me? 
because I often get asked, did I know, did I have any inkling? No, not at all. And also, one of my biggest cathartic things about it was I'd always really believed in honesty and I'd had relationships before where I felt they weren't honest and so I couldn't stay. So for all the years with Scotty, I thought, wow, yay, I finally found a relationship where we had complete honesty. And then there was this talk about an elephant in the living room. This was like the whole of who this person was, was actually not who I thought. So I had to fight past the feeling that she had been dishonest with me. So that took a while until I realized that actually she'd been very kind. She'd been really protecting me, live her life, and hoping this would never come out. And when I realized that that's really unselfish and hugely amazing, my ship started to turn in the, the ocean a bit. As the waves, if you will go with the whole analogy, started to wash over me of better and better understanding. That's a good question for you. Did it feel like you'd been lying to Marcy for years? internally, if not externally? What a great way of putting it. N no, and um, that seems odd to be saying now, looking back. Going forward in life from childhood through, first of all, I never thought, once I started to realize that the, God wasn't going to answer my prayers and I wasn't going to wake up in my real body tomorrow, <laughs> God just wasn't hearing me as a four-year-old and a five-year-old and a 30-year-old. Um, that it wasn't going to happen. So I never really thought that being who I am was possible this lifetime. You know, I met Marcy when I was 24 and we were married when I was 26. And it's like, oh my God, I, I hit the lotto. How did I do this? How did I get the most amazing woman on the planet in the history of relationships my first time out? I didn't really have that many long relationships before then. I just hit it on first, first at bat. Thanks, right? <laughs> so I, I, I suppose I should be better at describing this. I never thought that I would ever be able to be the woman that I am. So I never thought that I was deceiving anybody by trying my best to be the boy that everybody thought and expected me to be. I was just going to do my best. And after I started to develop an understanding of karma and and some of the deeper levels of spiritual path, I just thought, you know what? I'm going to win my womanhood my next lifetime by being the best boy I can this lifetime. And that worked up until seven years ago, and then it just like exploded away from my grasp. Do you have a sense of why it exploded? Why it finally just came to that head where you, you had to tell Marcy, you had to just stop and stop fighting it? Totally. I know exactly why. But it didn't exactly play out that way. It played out almost without me having control. On the morning that I came out to Marcy, it really just erupted out of me. really had this sense of watching myself cry and talk and scream and shout and all these things, going, I can't stop this. This is happening and I can't, I can't stop it. But I do know that I have always had a sense growing sense once I started to mature intellectually that you can't hide from this. This doesn't go away, sweetheart. It doesn't ever, it's not going to be wished away, prayed away, thought away. It can only be brought to the surface because it's who you are. So once I knew that, 
then I felt like I was playing a game. Like, well, maybe I can get out of this lifetime before that becomes too big of a thing. And then I could feel Marcy Burmy 10 years ago. She said to me, you don't ever look in the mirror. I said, yeah, I do. It's like, no, you, you see, you look at your part in your hair or you check the spinach in your teeth, but you don't look at yourself. And I was like, oh my God, she's right. Every once in a while, we get a little too angry about something or a little too much topspin on this attitude or opinion. And she'd say, what happened to the happy person I married? And I realized, I'm losing. I'm not going to be able to win this fight because it's sneaking out even behind my back. It's coming out of the cracks. So I need to do something about this. This might be a hard question for you, but given all this, did you ever think, I'm out of here? It's not a hard question. The answer's hard. (laughs) (laughs) All right, good. No, no, good. It occurred to me, let's just say the thought would come up and what I would do would follow the through line of, okay, let's say I left, what then? I could never picture a good outcome for leaving. And so a lot of times I actually, in a way, not, I felt trapped in some ways in that I thought, what am I going to do? Go live with my sister-in-law or what? Take my dogs, sell the house. I mean, you start thinking about the practicality of leaving. And I'd been through that before. So I didn't, didn't really look forward to that, but it really got to be where I couldn't figure out why, why would I leave? And I started thinking about all the other couples, all these images of other couples in my life had come up of people who've gone through a hardship or gone through a challenge. And though this was different, I actually thought it was less bad. I had a friend whose husband took off on his bike, wearing his helmet, everything, still had a bike accident and ended up a quadriplegic. And I thought, wow, being a caregiver 24 seven for somebody like that, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Not to compare you to a quadriplegic. Yeah, really. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> could have happened, all those helicopter rides. Well, it could have, now now it I know. She could have, yeah. yeah. So um, I wondered about it. But, you know, one of the other things, I've never said this out loud, but one of the other things was, Scotty is the one who kept saying to me, we will never part. And sometimes I'd almost get feisty, like, well, to heck with you. Who are you to tell me? I can leave if I want to. But there was something about that certainty. And it was also the guarantee that she wasn't going to leave. I thought, we've always had this love between us. So why would I leave? I never saw what I could go to that could possibly be better than all the things we had together for all those 20 years. And I really had to look at how much of that would change, really? And at the same time, you also battle cancer during this. And not maybe within the seven years, but oh, yeah. how does that all go t- together with this journey? Can you well, fit we that into me? An element, you know? Yeah. We didn't have enough to make it dramatic enough, right. so we thought, you know, how about cancer? No. Well, that was actually a thought I had. Scotty had come out to me, and then I got the diagnosis, and it was ovarian cancer, which, please don't anybody ever Google it, because the first thing you read is how it's the most deadly cancer, and only like 1% of people survive. So I'm still here to tell the story. To heck with that. So... How did we deal with that? Well, it became a little bit of a distraction. 
to say the least. It didn't really prompt further conversations about transgender much because, you know, I was going bald and other things were happening like that. And Scotty, again, this was one of the pluses, though. This person completely did set aside herself to take care of me and took care of me beautifully. We didn't really have to tackle the subject. She was very protective. Scotty mentioned karma before. You just have to deal with what you're dealt. And granted, there was a part of me that that would sometimes say to the world, really, this too? Well, uh, you know, I kind of thought we we had enough to deal with here, but okay, whatever. I'd also once heard that, um, you've probably heard the phrase, God only gives you what you can handle. So I decided that God has a lot of faith in me. What's odd is that a lot of gender therapists, and they, they have this giant disclaimer when they're discussing your dysphoria, not that this is like cancer, but, and then they will go on and they'll, they'll talk about how dealing with it for the other person is a lot like being the other person on the opposite side of cancer. So what that is, is that it's a completely neither of you picked it thing that has to be dealt with. One person is dealing with it in, on the inside, the other person is dealing with it on the outside. And so each person has feelings, you know, the caregiver has feelings too. But every caregiver goes, my feelings don't matter right now. Marcy matters. Let's get Marcy well. And that's what we did. So she would say, hey, <laughs> how are you doing with being a woman? And I'm like, we'll talk about that in whenever, after chemo or whatever. <laughs> and we just put it off. So a lot of the story is kind of that you write. I, should, I had, didn't even say the name of your book. Oh, for goodness sake. The book that we're talking about, by the way, is called Getting Back to Me, From Girl to Boy to Woman in Just 50 Years by Scotty Jeanette Madden. And a lot of the book is talking about sort of that back and forth between all the big questions, the mourning, the, the tears, and then all the joys that come afterwards. I don't know how to sum that up in our next 10 minutes, but can you talk about in some way when you guys felt that you were going from that sort of i don't know maybe mourning period for you of losing the husband that you had into the joy that you both have come to discover in the seven years that you've been through this can we explain that somehow in a brief period of time sure i think we could do that i mean the first thing though thanks for bringing up the book is that it's a love story because if you want to know who i am you have to know who marcy is i'm nothing without her so the joy has been that we're celebrating that now. We were celebrating it then. It just felt weird and confusing. And now we have less confusion. I felt a lot of the things, you know, you referred to as mourning, the loss of my husband. Yeah, I, I would love to get away from the words that people use a lot, but I, I haven't come up with good ones. But yes, I did. I accused Scotty of, you've taken away my husband. But what I saw happen was some of the things that I thought were the most awful or frightening potentials actually ended up becoming fun. And I almost can't practically tell you how that happened. It just did. My mother always used to say, time wounds all heals. So (laughs) eventually bad stuff goes, you know, in time. So all the things that I thought, like watching Orange is the New Black, well, first of all, what happened was I couldn't escape it. I I thought, okay, God, please, I sent her to our homeopath. Please cure this person. Uh, It was crazy. Now, as I look back, I was obviously very naive. But, But the thing was that every time I turned around, I was confronted with the subject matter. I I wanted to escape into this new show, Orange is the New Black. 
transgender character and there's the wife helping put on makeup and I went I could never do that and then somehow x amount of months later there I am in the bathroom and like oh give me that eyeliner let me help you with that and I went ah it's the scene from Orange is the New Black but things like that started to get kind of funny and then I remember going Christmas shopping and walking through the Macy's doors and I was in the old habit of saying okay well you know I'll meet you back here at oh wait we're going to the same departments so I guess this is in shorthand my also encouragement that a sense of humor is a very big help because it got us through a lot and we actually started to be able to to giggle at some stuff God damn it, your bra size is bigger than mine. That's just wrong. That's not wrong. Don't it's hate wrong. me because I'm pretty. <laughs> you can walk around in high heels. I hate them. How could you want to walk around? But we would start joking like that. And it, you know, it lightened things up. One thing that we used to do whenever, if our fight got just confusing and weird and just Did out of control. Or, or our disagreed. <laughs> We didn't, dear. <laughs> Some things never change. Some things don't go away just because you're on estrogen. <laughs> yes, dear. No. <laughs> um, but we would always check each other and say, well, is this joyful? We're supposed to be joyful right now. Transition is supposed to be joyful. It's not supposed to be this trail of tears that a lot of trans people have to go through. It's not supposed to be that way, which is why the ones who are experiencing that have such an issue with it. It's like they've been waiting, we've been waiting all our lives to transition to finally come out. And for it to be that the, we lose our family and we lose our job or we lose our house is horrifying. It's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be about being who you are. And that's a joyful thing. And you're a beautiful person, a beautiful child of God, really. So we would remind each other that. And could I say one more thing too? Uh, I think it's, in a lot of ways, the other person and the family members that really go through the transition, because we're the ones who have to get used to something that this person has known all along. I really want to say that we do have a love story because we both stayed in love and because of the way Scotty was gentle with me and kind with me and patient. So many people talk about the Danish girl and how that was a love story, and I don't really think it was. I think Lily, by leaving and saying, no, I have to do this alone, I felt like she was being selfish and her wife was completely there for her through the end. To me, a love story takes both people to make it really true true love. Yeah. All right. Well, just one more question and then we'll, we'll end. One of the things that you talk about is a lot about labels and you said that you hate the trans label, which of course the media right now is throwing around left and right. So can you explain why? Well, uh, because in, uh, what I've been trying to get to and what I referred to myself as but no, never told anybody was girl and woman. That's what I am. I will secede that you thought me boy and man for a long time. But trans woman is a qualifier on the front that seems to qualify my womanhood. And that's not fair. Because uh, in a lot of people's minds, it says not quite a woman, not really a woman, wasn't born a woman. Whatever it says before, not a woman is what's in there. And so that's why I don't like it. I do use it now because we can argue about semantics later. I mean, now that I'm strong, I'm strong because of Marcy's love and Marcy's acceptance, then I can go forward and I don't need to spend time worrying about semantics of everybody else. But 
the trans world and the trans issues and transgender community, we need to come together and we need to stand tall with the rest of our brothers and sisters in the LGBT world because we have work to do. There's a lot of things that are going on right now that are just not right. And so we can worry about labels later. Yeah, I think it was actually partly my fault because I studied Latin for several years in school. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, trans means you're crossing. So it sounds like you're always getting somewhere. But as Scotty said, she wanted to be there. So you're not crossing out of something into something else. You got there. So how can, what word might say that that's better than trans? It sounds like you're always kind of not quite there yet. Have you come up with anything? What did we come up with? I thought we had a... Uh, well, you said you didn't want to use confirmation. Or no, it's for what you do in a book in accounting. Oh, reconcile. Yeah. Reconcile. That you're reconciled as a woman. Yeah. Or, and, you know, we're still working on it. But how about just woman? Woman's fine. Woman works. Yeah. You're there. Yeah. You're there. Capital W woman, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll leave it there. But thank you so much for coming in. Oh, my God. God, Katie, thank you for having us. It's nice to meet. We've been communicating through email for months now, so to actually have you two in front of me is great. And same here. And I'd like to just say thank you to Seattle in general. Our whole visit here has been warm, welcoming. The interviews we've had have been heartfelt. No, nothing was peremptory. Is that the right word? Whatever. Um, <laughs> We could not be happier to be here, and thank you. You you were the catalyst to get so it all started. I'll start with you. Yeah, really. Wow, that's nice. So yeah, come you. to Seattle. We're like, yeah. okay, I guess we're going to Seattle. What else can we do while we're there? <laughs> and the rain showed up for you today, so yeah, you're having a true Seattle I'm experience. Curl my hair, of course. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, and until next time, this is the Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Visit the donate page on our website, thebittersweetlife.net. All donations are reserved exclusively for the creation of audio content. Your financial support keeps us strong. Thank you.